Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome to episode 33. We are so glad to be back and we hope you are too. Jameis, would you start us off today with your new favorite word? Gladly. So flotsam and jetsam (laughs) is a phrase I've known for as long as I can remember, but mostly referring to odds and ends. I've known it was nautically related and assumed it referred originally to things floating in the ocean. Yeah. But beyond that, I couldn't have told you anything. Well, I remedied that lack this week. Turns out that flotsam and jetsam are actual, rigorously defined terms in maritime law. Wow. Referring to different kinds of shipwreck. Legal terms, even. Yeah. So flotsam dates back to the 1600s and was often spelled with an N, as in flotsam. Hmm. It is derived from Latin flotationum, that is to say flotation, and refers specifically to cargo or wreckage that is found floating on the surface of the sea, which kind of matches what I imagined flotsam and jetsam meaning. Yeah. Jetsam similarly was originally spelled with an N, as in Jetson. Which, <laughs> George. <laughs> I was going to say, it suggests a whole new spin on the story of George Jetson. But it comes to us via a shortening of the word jettison. Okay, I wondered. Yeah, see? You're, as soon as you said the N, I wondered. You're sharper than I am. That's good. It suggests the difference between the two, right? So jetsam, where flotsam is wreckage found floating on the surface, jetsam refers to goods that are intentionally discarded from a ship and which oh, later wash ashore. Interesting. Jettisoned from yeah, the ship. Yeah, that makes sense. You see in movies when a captain will order cargo tossed overboard to lighten the ship, mm-hmm. any of that which reaches ashore is considered jetsam. Hmm. Also, anything that is accidentally washed overboard in a storm is also considered jetsam. So it's probably in better shape than the flotsam. Probably. It depends on the wreckage. Like if if a ship sinks and a bunch of the cargo floats to the surface but wasn't directly impacted by whatever mm-hmm. sunk the ship, it might be in the same shape, right? Interesting. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always heard jettison used as a verb. Yeah. To jettison something. Absolutely. But the word has been around in English as a noun since the 1400s and was only verbed in the 1800s. (laughs) How can that be a noun? I can't even imagine (laughs) it. But as a noun, it is. It's kind of weird. It means the act of throwing goods overboard. Oh, okay. It's that. So his desperate jettison of the goods. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was often used in like... Cargo lost by jettison. Okay. Or make jettison to lighten the ship. Fascinating. Or the ship was saved after jettison of a portion of the cargo. <laughs> and so we would say jettisoning, right? Yeah, yeah. You can see how it would have been verbed. Uh-huh. Like it, it's a very natural progression. But it comes from the Latin word iactatio, meaning a throwing or the act of throwing. Mm-hmm. So it, it has that that meaning of throwing something overboard. Okay. So Per Wikipedia, there are two additional categories of shipwreck. There's lagan, L-A-G-A-N, and derelict. Cargo or any portion of a wreck is considered derelict if it has sunk to the ocean floor by any means, Mm -hmm. or otherwise has no hope of ever being reclaimed. So that's derelict. And it comes from a Latin derelictus, meaning solitary (laughs) or deserted. (laughs) And it's composed of three roots. 
de, meaning entirely, and re, meaning back, and linkere, meaning to leave. So think relinquish, okay. or delinquent, or eclipse, or oh. relic. Those are all, they That's have that maybe. same root. Yeah. And lagan is a word I've never heard of before. No, that's a new one for me too. According to the OED, it can also refer to goods or wreckage lying on the bed of a sea and comes from the same roots as lay or lie. Hmm. But Wikipedia gives it to mean any goods cast overboard that would sink, but which are tied to some floating marker like a buoy so they can be found again. Hmm. And according to maritime law, if you have to throw something overboard and you have a buoy attached to it, that is sufficient for you to say, that's mine. Oh, okay. So someone can't find it and go home with it. So it's it. all about possession, right? It is. And ownership. Salvage and so forth. Okay. Like These are all laws that govern salvage rights. Fascinating. So derelict means anybody's game. Anybody's game. So like the Titanic was a derelict. Mm-hmm. It was sunk to the bottom, was deemed irretrievable. It's fair game. Hmm. So even the company that built it could not lay claim to that ship. Interesting. Now, there's a rarer word in the same family, Wavison. <laughs> or Waveson. I guess I, I'm not entirely sure of the pronunciation, but it's W A V E S O N. It's like Flotson, Jetson with the N. Uh-huh. Waveson. The OED gives examples of its usage like Flotson and Waveson and define it very similarly to Flotsam goods or wreckage floating on the surface of the sea. Now, interestingly, the OED suggests that the word was originally derived from wave with an I, W-A-I-V-E. Oh, not W-A-V-E. Right, suggesting like a legal intention to waive one's right to the property oh, by throwing it overboard. The stuff that's been waved. Right. Okay. So waves. And, but of course, the word has been influenced by the nautical wave, W-A-V-E. Right. That makes total sense. Yeah. So waves. And we don't hear that one as much. But to finish, let me rewind briefly to jetsam and its word of origin, jettison. As I mentioned, the Latin root here is iactatio, meaning to throw, which is theorized to come from a Proto-Indo-European root, ye, meaning to throw or impel. Now, quite a few words come from this root, including projectile, trajectory, mm. adjective, eject, jet, and jut. Mm-hmm. But as a wonderful example of parallel linguistic evolution, (laughs) I couldn't help but be reminded of the slang word yeet, (laughs) meaning, among other possible definitions, to throw, (laughs) while it almost certainly does not come from any of these other words or that Proto-Indo-European root. I love how it resembles that root, yeh. That's fantastic. And who knows? Maybe it was first coined by a secret student of Latin. (laughs) (laughs) Who would never admit it. (laughs) Never would admit it, no. Fascinating. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. How about you, Tessa? Okay, well, if you were with us last week, I talked about the word bromide, which is a commonplace remark or notion or a trite phrase. Right. Coming from this idea of being put to sleep. Yes. (laughs) But uh, when I was studying that, I came across several other synonyms, a kind of a word cloud around this concept that were also very interesting, but I ran out of time to talk about those in our last episode, so I decided to talk about those today. Fair enough. So this is kind of a part two of bromide, and this is just kind of a grab bag of fascinating, brief little (laughs) etymologies. So the first one I wanted to talk about was platitude. So this came into English in 1812 from French, 
the word that meant flatness. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which makes sense when you think about it. So think about plateau and flat itself. They also come from the same root. And my favorite thing about this, though, was the listing of alternate forms of this word. Platitudinous, platitudinarian, oh, wow. and to platitudinize. <laughs> I think we need to introduce do those into our conversation this oh, week. I'm in favor. <laughs> He's just an insufferable platitudinarian. <laughs> Pardon me while I platitudinize. Exactly. <laughs> so that was pretty fun. Uh, another one is stereotype. So this is from 1798, but at that time it meant a method of printing from a plate. So the word type in there comes from actual typesetting. Okay. Right? And that came from French and originally from Greek. So the root stereos meaning solid and typos meaning an impression, mark, or image. And so this was a technical term in the printing world, a stereotype, but it was for creating the same image over and over again, right? Okay. Or the same set of words. And, but it wasn't until 1922 that the figurative sense that we are so familiar with as a noun, a really? stereotype, meaning, you know, your predetermined idea of what someone is like came into being that's surprising that recently yes and even more surprising to me was it wasn't until 1953 that this was attested in writing (laughs) as a verb oh to stereotype yeah to stereotype but that's from the 20s to the 50s it took for that to be verbed so fascinating yeah really interesting and related to that is the word cliche which is also a technical word in printer's jargon for a stereotype block from french from the verb, verb cliché to click. And it's probably oh, okay. from the sound of the clicking of the, the typesetting process. Oh, wow. And the figurative sense of cliché was first attested in 1888, but wasn't really common until the 1920s as well. I wonder if it's just people couldn't wrap their minds around this idea of stereotyping. It was just... I don't know. That's just a theory. You're stereotyping. The, the yeah, I am. Then. People back then, they just didn't think about stereotyping. No, who knows? But that is fascinating to me. It's a lot more recent than I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. So then another word is banal. <laughs> B-A-N-A-L. It's from the French, probably banal. Was that how you would That'd pronounce that? Guess, spelled yeah. that way. Belonging to a manner or common used in feudal times, so designating things like ovens or mills that were used in common by serfs in a village kind of thing. So the the banal oven, or meaning oh. the communal oven, or oh, fascinating. the banal well, that yeah. kind of thing. And so open to everyone was kind of the original meaning, and that led to this idea of commonplace or ordinary, you know, that's so common, right? <laughs> and then that eventually started to mean trite or petty. Yeah. That's kind of a a common theme that we've seen even just in words that we've looked at in our podcast, right? Is things that are common or ordinary becoming very negative connotation. Yeah. So another word is hackneyed. (laughs) This was originally a small saddle horse let out for hire. So an ordinary horse, a horse for general service, the same kind of idea of common, right? And that originally came from a place name, Hackney, in Middlesex, England. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly why it took on that name. 
But by about 1749, it was the word hackneyed became a more figurative usage. Make common by indiscriminate use. Okay. And then eventually so overused to have become uninteresting, just hackneyed. And if you think about a literary hack, that comes from the same kind oh, of source. Okay. Someone that does work that's very trite and uninteresting. Oh, right? That's really cool. Yeah. So then trite is another such word. This came into English in the 1540s from Latin tritus, worn or oft trodden, like a path. Oh. That's worn down from a, a verb terere, to rub or wear down. So this well-worn phrase, right? We even use that kind of imagery uh-huh. as well. So that's what trite meant. And then stale originally meant freed from dregs or lees, speaking of ale or wine. Okay. And more specifically, having stood long enough to clear. So you put your ale in a barrel, you let it stand until all the dregs fall to the bottom, it becomes clear and more drinkable, right? It's stale. It was a positive <laughs> thing at the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so that comes from Proto-Indo-European uh, root, S-T-E-L, to put or stand. So a lot of words that we have today, like stall or install or still, come from that same okay. idea of standing, right? But the negative sense of not fresh that we use today or are more familiar with came around in the 15th century. And then the figurative use saying that like an idea yeah. is stale, that was in the 1560s. So that's a lot older than some of these other words. Yeah, that that's surprising. About. And then some fun phrases. So an old saw. This is something we don't use as often, but I come across it in older literature or movies, right? Talking about some trite phrase. This one is actually really interesting because I wondered, is it related to the tool, a saw? That's always what I've assumed. Yeah. So this is really fascinating to me because in Old English, there was a word sagu, S-A-G-U, that meant a cutting tool. But there was also a word, S-A-G-U, that meant a saying, a tradition, or a tale. So they were homophones, basically. Interesting. Okay. And then from Proto-Indo-European, we have these reconstructed roots. The cutting tool comes from S-E-K, to cut. And we get words like section, bisect, sector. And then... The Proto-Indo-European root that the other one derives from is S-E-K with a little superscript W to say or utter. So even back then, the words were very, very very similar. similar. Yeah, and the words we have today, some of them that come from that say, saga, and scold all come from that. But an old saw is an old saying, right? And so it's not actually related. (laughs) But even that far back, they had these homophones going on. It's fascinating. That makes you wonder what puns those ancient Proto-Indo-European speakers <laughs> might have done. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> That's a fun idea. So then the last one I wanted to mention is an old chestnut, right? Yes. <laughs> a venerable joke or story that's retold over and over. This one apparently comes from an 1816 melodrama written by British playwright William Diamond called The Broken Sword. <laughs> And it refers to an oft-repeated story in the story involving a chestnut tree. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just have a little section. I'm going to read the dialogue from this section that this comes from. It's, It's humorous. So there are two characters here, Captain Xavier 
and his assistant Pablo. So Captain Xavier says, Let me see, aye, it is exactly six years since that peace being restored to Spain and my ship paid off. My kind brother offered me a snug hammock in the dwelling of my forefathers. I mounted a mule at Barcelona and trotted away from my native mountains. At the dawn of the fourth day's journey, I entered the wood of Colares, when suddenly from the thick boughs of a cork tree, Pablo jumping up, <clears throat> A chestnut, Captain, a chestnut! Bah, you booby, I say a cork! Pablo, and I swear a chestnut, Captain. This is the 27th time I've heard you relate this story, and you invariably said a chestnut till now. <laughs> Xavier, did I? <laughs> well, a chestnut be it then, but take your seat again. <laughs> so I thought that was quite funny. So that's why we have this phrase, an old chestnut. It does originally pertain to a tree. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. So many surprises, like who who knew all the <laughs> twists and turns that language can take? Yes. Well, thank you, Tessa. And thank you all for joining us this week. Hopefully we've given you some food for thought and some new words to play with. If you find some words you'd like to share with us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash your new favorite word, or send them to us via email at ynfw at jamesbuck.org. We always want to know what's your new favorite word.